Welcome to Clued Up But Clueless. This is a podcast that takes you on a journey of levelling up and growth. We're going to talk about all things self, all things work, and all things money. Join, it's me Karina and Gloria, also known as Coco Not Quite Chanel. So let's let's go. go. Hello everyone and welcome back to Clued Up But Clueless. We had a wonderful break. Me and Karina have been enjoying the sun in our various different places. Uh, Karina actually just got back from a lovely month in Ibiza. How was that, Karina? It was absolutely beautiful and very relaxing. I was like up in the mountains enjoying myself, hence the kind of break from the podcast because the Wi-Fi just wasn't cutting it out there. Um, But no, it's been so good. As you know, this year has been nonstop with work. And having that break has been so essential. And Gloria, yourself, you've also just finished work for a short period of time. So how are you finding the freedom? Yeah, at first it was a bit too much free time somewhere. And um, I'm not sure if anyone has had like an extended break, maybe since school for longer than one month. So I feel kind of privileged to be able to like have time off, you know, fix any burnout. It was so nice being able to sleep a good eight hours a day. Um, I did a bit of traveling too. So I went to the south of France to Marseille at first, then traveled around the Provence region, uh, went to Saint-Tropez, which I loved. And oh, yeah, that was the first kind of trip. And then I decided to make some of my time off quite meaningful and really just try and gain well, not gain a new skill because I know a little bit of French, but really try and drill down and become good at French because je ne parle pas le français. <laughs> so I need to fix that. And yeah, I'm currently in Montpellier. I arrived yesterday, started my course today, equal parts fun, equal parts learning. So let's see how it goes. I really respect that. You know, you're learning French, you're doing something productive, but you're also enjoying as well. So it's the best way to spend time off. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. But today we have an exciting episode ahead of us. Um, this is our first guest we've had on the podcast and we're really excited about it. Gloria, would you like to introduce our first guest? Yep. So on today's podcast, we have the lovely Michelle. Michelle and her sister, Marengue, founded the brand Mo's Crib in 2016. They make sustainable homewares from materials such as PVC, palm leaves and grass and are actually based in Pretoria, South Africa. So we're also getting international guys. (laughs) They have a line um, out. Hopefully. Uh, They have a line out at the moment in collaboration with Woolworths in South Africa and have recently become stocked in Crate and Barrel in the US, which is an amazing, amazing, amazing job. So, to kind of kick things off, obviously, I um, actually know Michelle. I was fortunate enough to study with Michelle in Bern and we both did our masters together. Um, But because the viewers are less familiar with you, Michelle, um, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, introduce yourself to us. Oh, thank you so very much, Queen and, and Gloria. Um, this is just an amazing opportunity to share, um, you know, with your listeners about my journey and more about business. And, you know, I just can't wait to dive in more into this. So I'm South African, you know, as it may have been obvious. I grew up in sunny Pretoria, the capital of South Africa. I come from an agricultural background, you know. I studied agricultural economics um, as an undergrad, and then I did that as an honors. And then I completed my master's in Switzerland at the University of Bern um, in international trade law and economics. And 
Um, right now, I am an entrepreneur in the homeware industry, um, where we are doing, you know, amazing work in terms of sustainability um, and turning, you know, rubble into treasure, you know, with some of the products that we do. So, yeah, that's just, you know, in a nutshell, more about Michelle. And obviously, I met you later in life when we were both studying in Switzerland, studying them. But I'd love to just get to know what you were like, maybe when you were a bit younger, were you always more of a hustler and more of an entrepreneur? Or what did you want to be when you were younger? When did that interest kind of develop? Mm. You know what? Um, I actually grew up in a very dynamic home. Um, my mom was a nurse, but very entrepreneurial. And my dad an entrepreneur. So I, so in my home, I mean, the one thing that I always remember about at home when I was growing up was all the receipt books that my dad would always have. And, you know, I thought that that was, I thought everybody's dad was an entrepreneur, you know, I didn't know that there are some people that <laughs> did not have their own businesses. And so I think that that for me, from a young age, it was really cultivated that, you know, entrepreneurship would be the way to go. And it's something that I've always aspired to be. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, um, you go to school and you're encouraged, of course, to study further, which is something that I've always been also passionate about agriculture. And this is more from my, um, my high school years. When I was in high school, um, I studied hospitality management. And with this, I thought I was going to be a chef. All right. Oh, then wow, girl. That, that, forward, is a, that is a whole different avenue. <laughs> completely. Fast forward to when I finish high school, then I have interest in, you know, in, in, in actually being a chef. But then I was not able to go to, you know, culinary school because it was extremely expensive. And I think this is the same across the board in every single country. Going to culinary school is actually quite really, really pricey. And so you know, it really was the spur of a moment thing when I went to university and I had to decide, looking at the prospectus, what course to study, it really was not a planned thing. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm very good at business management and agriculture has something to do with food. So since I can't go and do, and, 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 and go, since I can't go to culinary school, then let me put business management and agriculture together. And the course was named agribusiness. And so that's how I chose it. And only to realize that there was just a whole lot of economics. And I thought, oh no, I need to get out of this place. I need to get out. And when I went <laughs> to try to change my course, they said, sorry, you cannot change your course. You're already here. So you need to stick with it. And I ended up loving it. I ended up loving economics, really just understanding how the economy works. It really makes sense. And, um, and that's why I then continued to do agriculture economics um, and then international trade law and economics. So there was a lot of economics in what I studied and I really, really loved that. Um, and I use it a lot also in just, you know, my general knowledge in the business as well. It really does come in handy. Um, and so that's basically how it all started. And when I was in, in, in primary, of course, we used to have like entrepreneurship days where we would sell sweets, you know, they encourage that a lot. I actually wonder if that's still being done in South African schools today. I don't know, but I know that we really, we, we had that and it was really, really instrumental to really helping us understand more about business, even though, even though it was on a very small scale, but I had my own entrepreneurship venture. Um, I think I was in university now and I was selling hair, <laughs> you know, so it was actually a very interesting business that started. My sister met somebody when she was living in Paris. The gentleman was selling hair and my sister invited him over to South Africa. He had to just basically, we had to just show him around where he should sell, sell hair. And I thought, I want in. This looks interesting. And he left me with the hair at the side. So I had stock to start, started looking for clients. 
And you know what? The hair, the hair business was really booming until I had to focus on my job. I, I then got a job and I had to really focus on my job and the business had to die out. Um, later on, um, not, not, not so far off from that, I think a couple of months later, I identified a market. Um, there was a, a nice little uh, um, weekly or monthly market that was happening, you know, in the city. And I noticed that they're not selling any alcohol. And I thought, mm, okay, I can actually, you know, make cocktails. And I got a friend of mine um, who was also my colleague to join me. And then we started selling cocktails um, at, this, at, at this market. Now, unfortunately, the owner of the market realized that we were onto something in the next market. Um, like I think after attending three markets in the fourth market, he then had his own state-of-the-art stall selling cocktails. So that was like no. for me. I know. That was really tough competition for us. And so we decided, no, we cannot compete with him. Um, you know, we were really doing it on a very small scale. And he brought state of the art, he brought sponsors. So we really could not compete in that level. And so that was when it died out. But wow, entrepreneurship he really wanted to drive you out of the business. Absolutely, Karina, definitely. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> sponsors and everything. But, wow. Yeah, but the entrepreneurial spirit is really uh, has really always been embedded in me. And, um, and yeah, and, and, and then the business, and then my sister and I started most crib later on in our, you know, in, in, in our careers as a part-time hobby. Ah, I see. So yeah. what, what inspires you in regards to most crib? What inspired you to take that leap? You've gone from hair to cocktails, girl. Why did homewares feel like the next place that you kind of wanted to venture and dab your toes into? Another... Another, um, you know, uh, area in my life that really just happened um, unexpectedly, I was uh, attending a market. I love markets, guys. <laughs> I was attending a market and I told my sister, come join me for the market. A friend of mine was selling at that market. And we went together as, as, as just attendees just to enjoy the market. And my sister saw these origami art that was being sold at this market. And she thought to herself, okay, I make origami art. So I think I need to come and, you know, and, and, and sell some of my craft, you know, at this market. And then a year later, she applied and then they accepted her at the market. Then she came through and I joined her. Um, you know, it was really just a natural partnership because of she then came there with her craft, et cetera. But I just naturally joined just to help, you know, set up and make sure that she's got all the the um you know um, props that she needed for her stall etc and then this market was just it just became a phenomenon because of a product that we thought was going to be a slow a slow sale just was selling like hot cakes and it was just a shock for us because my sister had been making this origami art that she actually learned in london ladies when she used to live in london she we need to get our Japanese hustle on damn you need to link us to these lessons we're not learning damn <laughs> yeah she learned honestly i'm so sat here thinking like i'm not doing enough i'm sat here like you've had so many businesses girl <laughs> i know i tried i tried <laughs> Yeah, so she 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 she, she learned this origami art, and in, t- in the whole ten years that she's known this craft, she had never sold it for money. She always used to make it for gifting purposes. And then when we when we're at the market, it's selling really well, and we thought to ourselves, this is incredible. And then in the next year, we then introduced the PVC range, which is now trading at Crate and Barrel, and it was also selling really really well. And then we. I mean, it was, you know, a, a lot, a lot happened at the time we were still working full time. We decided to travel to Switzerland and when we we're actually in Switzerland, we did some markets um, in France 
And then later on, we decided, you know what, we need to just go back home. And we think that the real calling is in South Africa and we need to go back and start this business and do it full time. So I am going to finish my, my studies. She's going to finish her job and we are just going to pack up and leave. And after graduating, I actually flew out the next day because we were very serious and determined about this. Um, and that's how it really started. Homeware, um, you know, has been something that we've always just been interested in. My sister and I are very surprised to go through our old photos and see pictures of what we took when we were going to shops, looking at the grass trays that they had and taking pictures. And I think somewhere, you know, inside our minds or in our spirits, something new that we were going to be in this industry. But homeware is the thing that really connected my sister and I because we both like homeware. And that's what made us decide, okay, this is the next best thing for us. And and and, and it was a very good choice to make. Honestly, I'm, I'm already inspired. I obviously am inspired by you anyway. That's kind of how I gravitated towards you in the course when we became friends. You've <laughs> yeah. always had the hustle in you. And girl, you were always booked and busy. Not to call you out right now, Michelle, but unless you needed to be there, Michelle was not in class, guys. She had other stuff she was focused on. And I really respected that about you. You had your eyes on the bigger prize at all times. Gloria, how are you airing out her attendance rate right now? Um, Karina, I could also do ours, but that's for a separate episode. <laughs> Today we're focusing on entrepreneurship, not education attendance. Exactly. But I was doing um, lots research also, while you guys were studying there. <laughs> exactly. Like she, she, she was able to do both. Let this be a call to the viewers, please, guys. Utilize your time wisely. Yes. Um, but I actually just wanted to pick up on another point because also in hearing your story, what really grabs me is how close clearly you and your sister are together. Um, would you say that that's really benefited you in your business and being able to work with someone who's family? And um, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to start a business and is thinking about doing it with maybe their family or their friends? Yeah, no, it definitely did benefit. I think the closeness of our relationship played a major role. A lot of the businesses that I mentioned, she played a role in. In the hair business that I started, she played a role in. In the cocktail business that I started, she helped me, um, you know, um, with some money to start that as well. So we've always really had, you know, that support. And like I mentioned that when we started the market, um, it was her project and I was just helping her. So we really always had a very supportive relationship without even noticing or taking score, you know. Um, and one thing that really brings us together is the amount of respect that we have for one another. So I respect, you know, her creativity, her craft, and she'll also respect, you know, my um, analytical mind and, you know, um, you know, my, my, my operative mind, et cetera. And so we, that really is a working synergy. And I think what really helps in the business is that we have the same taste for some funny reason. We really have the same taste. We gravitate towards the same things. And when we introduce certain things and ideas in the business, we support them because we really are aligned um, in, our in our operations. Look, it hasn't always been this easy. We had to really transition from just being sisters to being business partners because we operate different roles. She's a creative director and I'm a marketing and operations director in the company. And so I will handle mostly the you know, from, you know, the supply chain side of things. And then she will, she, she's more on the beginning stages. So, 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 so the, uh, on, on the value, you know, chain of, of, of the business. And so um, we really had to go through a trans transition where we have to now really be clear to say, this is your role. This is, um, you know, 
um, my role. Um, and so, so that we do not step onto one another's um, territories because of that was one of the issues that was, um, you know, um, having us rub heads in the beginning. And so um, we, we, we've always been, we, and, and I also think our, our, our upbringing had something to do with this because growing up, our parents also raised us to not be in competition with one another, but to be in support of one another. Um, this has just always been the family style. And we're seeing it really play a, a big role um, right now in the business. And so that I think is, is, is what contributed to, um, to, to the good working relationship. And advice for anyone that's gonna go into business with their sister um, or anyone else for that matter, if you're close and you you close friends, identify that there is, you know, um, that you have to, first of all, identify roles in the business and make sure that you stick to those. I mean, it's of course, when you own a business, you really do have a say overall, but there's ways in which you can communicate it that will not step into another person's um, you know, territory as if you're trying to micromanage them or trying to tell them how to do their job. And I think once you have those two things, then you know, you, you, you really are off to a great start. You know, everything else is really a learning, um, a, a learning journey and people are different, people receive things differently. Um, and so it will be different for anybody, you know, um, that goes into that. But I think having to understand the roles for me, that was one of the stuff that was um, quite challenging, but we actually got through that. So that helped a lot. Honestly, that's probably such great advice, not just in the workspace, but you could also take that into other avenues when you're, for example, in education and you might have like a group project, anything where you need to collaborate with someone else or even in relationships, sometimes it works better if you just identify what you're working towards and also identify who is good at doing what and let people kind of get on with that and respect everyone equally so I really think um, you talking about your roles kind of how you assign them with you and your sister could be useful in so many different contexts so thank you so much for sharing that with us Michelle yeah, yeah thank you absolutely I agree and what I found interesting Michelle is that you were saying like part of your journey was transitioning to being a business partner and a lot of what we speak about here on the podcast is about our own self-growth so we look at like tackling imposter syndrome and dealing with self-reflection so I wondered what type of um, personal development growth tools that you've maybe had to overcome as becoming a business owner yeah you know um, a, a lot Karina um I think, first of all, I will say that my journey to Switzerland, number one, really was very helpful for me. Um, there's a lot that I've learned in that journey that really I used um, into going into this business, being in a country where you don't speak the language, um, being in a foreign land and having to really find a new way to navigate around life. That really does give you a different type of, um, you know, uh, what, what, what does I would say, you know, skill on how to how to live life, but most importantly, how to go after your goal, um, you know, with a determined effort, no matter what. So that's definitely been that. Um, in terms of personal development, um, you know, that, that, that I've had to um, improve on personally would be, um, I mean, now when you spoke about um, um, imposter syndrome, I would say that it's something that I definitely had to deal with, and not just in the business, but overall um, in my life. I think that's something that we, you know, a lot of people really suffer from this and people don't talk about it. And I did not know how to get away from this, um, you know, feeling of feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm a fake or, you know, people are going to find out that I'm actually not that good. Um, but what I then had to realize was all you need to do was put in some work. You know, when you feel like you are, not when you when that when that feeling of imposter syndrome just kicks in 
you it, it's it's reminding you that you just need to put in some work more into what you are working on when you do that you you or focus on high value activities um you know it, it really sort of motivates you you know for instance out on a sunday usually these people feel really dreadful for a monday to start because you're laying there on sunday and you're thinking to yourself oh, i need to do that report it would be great if you actually did that report on friday you are going to feel so much better about it being a Sunday, 6 p.m., knowing that that report is already done on that Monday morning, you know? And so it really just all about tackling the work. It's just a reminder in your brain to say, you have not really put in so much work into this. You just need to, you know, to get it going. Um, we, a, a, a lot of, and another thing that I definitely think I had to learn was vulnerability. And this is more an emotional side than just, you know, a, a, a learned skill. But vulnerability was really key for us. And for me, I'll speak for myself, particularly because, when we went into business, it was really challenging. Um, I think we'll speak more on the finances later, but it was challenging in a sense that we thought we had a lot of money coming to this business and we realized we have nothing. And then we literally had to now change our lives and start asking friends for money. You are known as the girl who used to travel to Paris and Italy. You lived in Switzerland and now you're here asking me, your friend, for money. So mm -hmm. it was very uncomfortable to really get out of that and really start changing my lifestyle and not being known as that girl who was like a jet set, I think, and being that girl who was asking for money. And it really came from um, vulnerability. And a book particularly that helped me with this was Rising Strong by Brene Brown, where it spoke about learning to be vulnerable, owning your story. And I had to just say, this is my story. This is me right now. You know, this is me. I am a lady who is after a dream and needs money. And I will ask anyone who is able to really support me and willing to listen that this is what I need. And that's, and vulnerability has really helped me along the way, you know, in, in, in terms of my business. Um, th that, that's the real one key thing that I will say um, I had to really improve on because I did not know anything about vulnerability. I could not ask for help at all. It was very foreign for, for me. And so I had to really get myself into that, um, you know, mindset to be okay with it and to own the story. And you know what? We had people that helped us. When you put your hand up, people will help you. No one is laughing at you. And now we really just pretty much know who are the people that were rooting for us. And, 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 and I'm very happy that I actually went through that stage because people can see that it's actually not that easy to start this mm -hmm. business and make it a success, you know? Yeah. That's honestly why we started this podcast. That's the whole ethos of it, because there are so many things that people would want to know, or there are so many people who feel like they should be living their life in some kind of way, because like you say, you were living that jet set lifestyle and that's what it was, but you know, you wanted to then transition into having your own business and to do that requires sacrifice, but obviously you're successful and you're going to continue to be more successful god willing and you could get back to you know jetting and doing all these additional things but people don't Can't necessarily wait. see the backgrounds you know and it's and when people want that they're not willing to ask you how you got there that's it that's it yeah so the yeah. fact that you're sharing that honestly like so many people were in your position where they're just they're expected to just have made it but they're not inquiring as to how did other people actually make it happen though. Mm. Mm. And I, but I, I think it also ties on to, yeah, Corinne, Corinne, you can go ahead. No, sorry. You, you continue. Then I'll jump in. I was going to say that um, I think it also is um, the responsibility of, man, of many entrepreneurs to really be honest about their journey and not just share the, you know, the highlight reels, but when you're given the platform such as this, to really speak up and say, it was really hard. You know, it was really hard where you look at yourself and you're like, 
how did I end here? I don't even have nails. Oh my goodness. I cannot even do manicure and really be honest about it and say, it's not about, it's really not about getting in there and getting a Porsche tomorrow morning. That's not the real story. I'm telling you right now. And if that's what anyone, and if anyone is going into business for that instant gratification, then they might as well turn back right now because it's going to take a while. I love that you're willing to share that because if someone goes onto your Instagram page right now, they're going to see a collaboration with Woolworths and think that you start your own business and you've just made it. But what they're not seeing is the fact that you did have to ask friends for money and you did have to stop traveling. And you're right. It's important that young entrepreneurs know this, that sacrifice is a big part of success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. So now, thank you so much for sharing that. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about your business. You shared quite a lot already, um, but we're going to really jump in and get some details. Hopefully, the more you go into the background of how your business kind of started, the financials team and more the operational side of things. um, People who are maybe curious about starting their own business can get some tips. So, right. So your business, what I love about it is that you're so passionate and so focused on sustainability. What made you focus on sustainability as part of your brand's ethos? Um, Sustainability, first of all, in South Africa is not such a big thing because you can understand that, you know, in developing country, the one of the things that um, the citizens are thinking about right now is not so much about, um, you know, saving plastic, saving the environment. They're thinking about where they're going to get their next bread. Um, And so, but this was a clear focus for us in terms of who our target market was. And I think what really helped us was the flagship product that we introduced into the business, which was the origami swan, was made out of paper and glue only. And that when we sold it, we sold it as, you know, a product that is friendly, environmentally friendly, you know? And then when we introduced our next product, which was the recycled PVC range, which is PVC that we actually collect from construction sites, um, from the manufacturers that have broken pipes lying around, as well as landfills. Then we strip this PVC into strips in order for us to be able to weave it into baskets or planters. And we realized, well, this is recycled, you know. And so this is how um, the whole sustainability, you know, um, um, you know, uh, ethos rose in our business. And our customers really gravitated a lot towards that. And we started realizing from this market that we had a certain trend um, of customers. And even when you do, do, because we, we used to do our own little deliveries. And when we delivered the products, we noticed in some areas, you go into the posh areas, you never deliver in, you know, in other areas. And we noticed, oh, okay, so this is definitely our, our target market. So it really was not something that we naturally thought, oh, let's just go into sustainability. It really was organic. It just really just so happened that the product that we introduced spoke to sustainability but we were very much um, intentional when we were going at our PVC range that we wanted to create a sustainable product and we wanted to create sustainable jobs using sustainable material and that is our you know top three pillars and making sure that the products that we that, that we supply are of high quality you don't have to throw them away tomorrow morning so that you can fill up the landfills again these are products that you can keep for years and years and years and, you know, made from environmentally non-invasive materials such as grass, you know, from that we take, we take um, plants, leaves that, that 
are that, that are not part of the tree anymore that have that have dried out and we make use of that to make new products and so we don't take away from the environment at all in fact we try to give back as much as we can um and definitely um you know and increasing our footprint you know in the in, in in the environment upon which we serve and so that's basically where it started it was really organic to now starting to be a very intentional thing and we are really held accountable you know by that um by that aspect of creating, you know, a sustainable business. So that's basically what, you know, what, 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 how we got into creating a product that is sustainable and what's keeping us grounded in that sustainability ethos that we've created. I love that also because the world is literally on fire. I'm not sure about you, but the fires in Lebanon, the the fires are always happening in California. It's, it's, climate change has already happened as far as I'm concerned the more I research about it the permafrost is already melting so I'm so passionate about becoming more sustainable and that's what another reason why I really wanted to ask you to be our first guest because I think all around not only are you an incredible boss and incredible at what you do but what your brand stands for really is important to push the fact that you're pushing more thoughtful consumption and that you've really made this a part of your brand's ethos is something that I think is super commendable Michelle and on that note um, what advice would you give other people who want to create a sustainable business obviously it developed for you quite naturally but um, have you faced any for example challenges um, with sourcing those sorts of material how did you go about like connecting with uh, the for example um, other businesses that have the disused PVC stuff like that more practical tips yeah you know what sustainability is the future and the more we wake up to this the better Um, if anyone wants to go into sustainable business I would say definitely go ahead and do it you know but obviously there are challenges in terms of, you know, finding the raw materials. When we started our business, we used to get, we used to just take any PVC pipe that we would find at landfills and construction sites because we're just doing product for the market. But once you start talking about your retailers that are very color specific with the colorways that they want, then it limits you to, you know, getting a certain type of color because the products that we do are not color manipulated or dyed or anything. So we use the natural color that we get. And so the challenge was in getting the raw material. But what really will make you successful is really staying committed to your values, which is to create sustainable products. You will know that if you get a customer that says, for instance, we have, we've had a customer who wanted a grass product and they said, please just line it with plastic. And we said, we will not do that. We will not line it with plastic because we do not work with plastic in our company. We just work with recycled material. And so you will have to buy the grass basket as it is. And so because of that, we really stuck to our values. We did not turn away from it because if we're not trying to sell sustainable products just to sound like it's a marketing, you know, right now, because of it's an intention, it's, 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 it's not just a marketing term that we are using. It's something that we are really accountable for. We take it really seriously. And even our, even, even our clients understand that this is what we stand by. And so I would say, you know, creating a sustainable business is definitely the way to go, not just so for profit or for, you know, um, a, a marketing, you know, uh, term that can really just help you, you know, increase sales, but because of the world needs more of that. Um, mm-hmm. And the customers are ready to receive. We've got a lot of conscious buyers. We grow, the, 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 the world economy in general has, is growing with a lot of conscious buyers, people who are ready to spend on something that they know does not contribute to the problem, but actually 
you know, helps eradicate the problem, um, you know, or mitigate, you know, the risks that the country is seeing at the moment, that the world is seeing at the moment. And so, um, yeah, it's just really all about being intentional about it and making sure that you stick to that intention all throughout. That's so amazing, Michelle. I really love that you stick to your ethos regardless of money and also that you mentioned that you know South Africa is a developing economy but there's still a need and a demand for sustainable products as well which is nice to hear because I think people believe that it's often a forgotten concept in other countries. Yeah. Oh no, it's definitely it's definitely needed. I mean, in South Africa as well, as much as I mean, in some areas, people don't really care much about sustainability. Um, you know, in the rural areas, no one really cares about that. But we have organizations that really promote, you know, the planting of trees and 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 really try to create some environmental awareness in some areas. And but it is really a growing trend, um, particularly in you know in in some developing in in let's just say in the um, urban areas, it's really a developing. Um, you know, I, I, idea, let me say, not just the, to say that it's a trend, but it really is a developing idea and a lifestyle for many. Um, and so that it actually speaks to our slogan, which says redesigning, sus- redesigning sustainable living, because we want to redesign sustainable living, you know, and to, to, to make sure that the products, because some products are recycled and sustainable, but it's not something that you would necessarily want to buy. It does not look so appealing. So you don't want to force people to buy a recycled That's, That product. was such a classy drag. So we knew what you were trying to say. Yeah, you know, so you want to make sure that you redesign what you mean when you say sustainability. So it's a redesigned product. It looks modern. It looks beautiful. But also people are now choosing to live in a sustainable way. Yeah. And... Just to ask a bit more about your business at present, how large is your team? Is it just you and your sister still? Or have you started the process of trying to expand your team and hire more people? Yeah, no, we definitely had to um, hire more people. Um, in some of our products, we outsource. And right now we are a team of nine. We've got a, we've got nine um, team members, excluding ourselves. So that makes us 11. Um, and of course, we definitely want to grow our, te- our team because if we... Um, have a lot of business interests from other retailers, especially with the Crate and Barrel um, collaboration. We've had a lot of interest from many, many companies that would love to um, stock some of our products. And that has um, definitely created a demand for a bigger team. My sister and I, of course, want to also free ourselves in our roles because we want to now, you know, um, take over into more of an executive role in the business where we are getting more um, creative, um, you know, and, and, and we source more. And so that's going to really require us to get, you know, people that are going to come in in our positions to take over what we're currently already doing. But um, right now we are able to manage with the team that we have, but we can see that definitely in future, we definitely, we're going to need more. Um, and it is definitely in the pipeline. I definitely think this is something that Karina can more relate to than I can because Karina is in a similar situation kind of with her position at one of her jobs. Mm -hmm. She's basically going to hire someone to take over a large um, portion of the functions that she currently um, takes on. So do you have any advice also maybe for Karina and for anybody else um, as to what you would look for when you're hiring people to expand your business? How, How have you kind of chosen them in terms of culture fit cv like what would you look for when expanding your team well in our team of course it's really different um for any single for for every single business um in terms of you know who you choose to be part of your team 
with us, we're definitely looking for skill. Um, what has been the center of everything has just been skill because of most of our most of our employees are you know um, the manufacturers, people that actually make the product themselves. So they were really looking for skill, but also leadership role. Um, the reason why leadership role is very important for us is because we do not want to create an environment where people feel micromanaged. We want people to know that they are their own, you know, the, the masters of their own um, destiny. And so when you are, you know, busy with the task, you don't want anyone to tell you how to do it all the time. I mean, it can be an introduction. And from then on, you have to put your own personal style into it. And so we really, our team is filled with a lot of people who are, who, who, who have, um, who've got, you know, natural leadership, um, you know, um, I'd say skills. Um, we also put quality, you know, at the forefront of our business. And so we want people that, that pay close attention to detail. And that does not necessarily mean with the product that they're making, but how they speak to their employees, like, you know, just being very aware, you know, of, of, of how you, how you behave and how you actually, um, you know, put out your skill in the workplace. And so with that, we, you know, we, we want people that um, are focused on creating um, quality above all and, and, and across the board, you know, um, we, we, whether they're speaking to customers, whether it's customer service or packaging product or making a product, um, you know, dispatching, speaking to the people that are delivering some raw materials, speaking to the customers that are collecting the product from you. And so I think that those are the, the, the top, you know, three that we look for. So it's basically skill, um, leadership, um, skill as well um, and, and and quality. Those are the top three. In terms of, you know, I mean, of course, some, some companies look for experience. Um, with, with, with us, experience is not necessarily, particularly for the for, for both roles, in fact, I mean, we've we've had a gentleman who was a carpenter, and he was he did not have any weaving skill, and he did not ha- he did not have any prior experience in weaving, and it took about a month and a half for him to get trained, and now he's one of the people that did the bulk of the quid and barrel order, and so just giving people a chance and believing in them. But what we what did we see in him? We saw someone that was really willing to learn, someone that was proactive. That's really important as well. I forgot to mention that proactiveness is important. Important. And proactiveness can easily be tested. You ask someone to do something that they've never done, or you ask them to come in earlier at a time when you know maybe transport might be a problem for them, just to, just to test um, how they would respond to that. And you want someone that can say, okay, I can do that, or I can try and do it the day before. I, okay, no problem. I'll be able to be there at, um, you know, at six in the morning. Um, and obviously not using that to abuse them. It's just a one. So for you to trust if they really are proactive. <laughs> and we had this gentleman who was very proactive and we thought, okay, we definitely want him on the team. Someone that can really put their hand up, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for a book and they're like, okay, I think I know where I can get that. And so you want someone that's really proactive. I think that really will help with the team because you don't always have to micromanage. We don't micromanage our team. Um, the people that we have at our fulfillment center, we've got two different types of, um, you know, factories. One is a production site where the product is being made and the other is a fulfillment center where the product is being checked, quality, um, packed, um, tagged, et cetera. And, um, in, 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 in both these environments, we don't micromanage our team, you know. And so that's basically the culture they created. And it really creates a more relaxed, you know, environment. Um, but while we're still on human resource, I want to mention the one thing that we do also in our company, we put um, people over profit. And what we do by that, mm-hmm. we are basically, it's called um, 
conscious capitalism. And with Mm. that, we really put um, employee wellness at the forefront, meaning, for instance, at the production house, the guys are housed, we pay for their accommodation, their lodging. um, And yeah, and they've got clean water. They've, you know, they've got their own rooms. The house is furnished, and they and 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 that's where they produce. So they don't have to trans. They don't have to travel to and from work. You know, they are stationed at that place. That's where they work. That's where they wake up and work in the morning. And then when they knock off. So that also did help us in the, within this COVID time to really eliminate um, COVID cases because of no one was traveling out of the factory at all. And at our fulfillment center, our ladies have lunch every single day. They've got transport to and from work that is subsidized for them. And um, and all these and all our team members also have access to a nurse who wow. um, takes them and gives them medication when they as and when they need it. This is obviously not abuse. So we have a way in which we kept it. But we, we create that working environment so that people can really feel, in, in, um, you know, comfortable, relaxed in the workplace. That's what we do. And we, we really um, we, we take pride in that. And, and that also speaks to our sustainability because we want to create sustainable jobs. So we don't want people hopping from one job to another. And it's important Honestly, when you have so... a brand like like a brand about sustainability and looking after the planet and people are mm-hmm. equally as much a part of the planet as you know the materials you're using so it's amazing to hear that your ethos also aligns with how you do HR. Yeah I like how you yeah. think that you know, that's true. Gosh I'm really I'm really in awe of you I, I think the way the way you've kind of integrated that to be part of your business really is it, it's it's wonderful, but it's also making me think, damn, are you hiring Michelle anytime soon? <laughs> because it, it sounds like such a wonderful environment that you've built. And I think, you know, you're right. You read all these articles and the number one reason why people leave a job is actually because of their boss and because of the environment. So you've definitely got about the right way, creating the yeah. best environment possible so you don't have that kind of issue. Work and kind places, of, um, yeah, workplaces, workplaces can really create a lot of anxiety. And um, we don't want to be the reason for someone's mental illness, you know. We don't want to be the reason for someone's men- mental and uh, you know, uh, um, um, you know, unwellness uh, or whatever the word might be. But we really want to make sure that you know people feel comfortable at work, and we have our monthly meetings where we ask, "Is everybody happy? Is everyone okay? Does everyone have any issues?" Because we've been employees before, and we know how it feels sometimes when you are in an environment and you don't feel appreciated, and you really want to leave, and you are depressed, and you're having sleepless nights. We certainly do not want to be the reason for why someone is feeling like that, and um, it really starts with us. You know, it starts with us as entrepreneurs to make sure that we create those good working environments so that people are happy because they take the emotion that they feel from work and they take it home with them. And we want to make sure that when people get home, that they are happy and they're feeling fulfilled, you know? And so that's really, really important for us. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so thank you so much for talking about the environment that you created at work and a bit more about your team and how you tend to find people. So now you've grown your business to quite a substantial size. Um, you are now stocked at Crate and Barrel in the US. Congratulations once again on that. So what would you say have been the main things, like for example, like two or three things that you can say have led that growth and led you to be able to now be stocked overseas? Hmm. <laughs> that's a tough question okay um i would definitely say that um the the ability to dream the ability to really dream because we never saw our business as just some small market stall shop 
and that's how it's going to be for the next you know foreseeable future we always known knew that we wanted to create a multinational company and that would mean we'd have to break some barriers you know number two for me um it was sheer determination and with sheer determination it's 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 really different. It does not exist, you know, um, with the same as just having a dream. Because you can have a dream, but some mornings you really will not feel like waking up. Some days when you don't get the funding, when you get declined from the bank, you really feel like you cannot continue, you cannot go on. Um, but having that sheer determination to say, well, this PO that I got from Crit and Barrel is going to cost me over a million to fulfill, and I do not have one rand. <laughs> or I guess in your case it would be maybe I don't know friends. <laughs> um, it's okay the, the people at home will put it in the show notes the conversion yeah. <laughs> yeah um and so having that sheer determination to say I am gonna go ahead and do it and I would say number three definitely was the pandemic the pandemic pushed us hard the pandemic mm. pushed us because it was during the pandemic that we got Crate and Barrel um, we were sitting at home oh, wow. and it was April a month where we had zero revenue and we thought to ourselves wow, this is scary. We had to pivot and do other, um, you know, businesses on the side. We did masks. That's a story for another day. We did masks, um, which really helped us with getting money um, um, during that time. But more so, we were able to then go onto our, our laptops and communicate, send as many emails as we can to, you know, your I will not name them because then you'll know where we're going to be next. But we named, we contacted a lot of, um, you know, um, stores um, across, you know, the US. And that, that time was really a great time to catch the buyers because they're sitting at home, just like you're sitting at home, not distracted. And they are quick to respond to emails. And we really found that as a very, very good time for us to connect with, with the buyers. It was a working um, strategy at the time. And I think that's what really propelled us to be where we are right now in terms of credit and barrel. And as far as credit mm. and barrel is concerned. And on that note, you started expanding and exploring the e-commerce space. And like you said, the pandemic really has sped up that process for a lot of different vendors and a lot of different companies. Um, did you experience any challenges when trying to adapt the model to, you know, accommodate for e-commerce? E-commerce was important for us to go into. Um, the reason we went into e-commerce was because of, first of all, Queer and Barrel is, is trading, um, it, it's not a white label, so it is trading our products as most crib. And we knew that, and, and even on the tag, it does say go to www.mostcrib.com. And we knew that, okay, this is going to create some um, traffic because Queer and Barrel only has two colorways, but we can make numerous colors um, of, you know, of our PVC range. And we thought, okay, well, let's just go on ahead and introduce um, an e-commerce site. Um, to sell our products. One of the challenges was getting that e-commerce site already up and running because we just had a landing page, um, you know, with our store, with, with, in, in our business. And so it was costing a lot of money to get that e-commerce up and running. And my sister actually had to get on and go on YouTube, Google how to make your own website. And she made her own website using Shopify. And that's how we created that. It was challenging in a sense that we had no money to, um, to get that store up and running. And we also had no money to get the products to the US on time. And so what we did was then we decided we'll do it on back order. Um, which you've done and it's really really working well for us so that was a challenge that we had um, and I mean I'd say one of the other challenges would probably be shipping because if it's cheaper to ship in bulk but we have to ship 
you know, in, in, in smaller units at the moment. And that, that's mm-hmm. also becoming really costly. But, um, we, you know, we found a way around it. We also are um, planning to um, go direct to consumer via e-commerce in South Africa, um, mm-hmm. launching sometime in November. Um, we're excited about that because we can bring new products, um, you know, to our to our customers that will obviously not compete with what's already in stores um, at our retailers, like our clients, people that we're already trading with on wholesale, but try to bring something fresh and new and different to the market. So, yeah, I'd say that the, our, our main challenge was basically getting that e-commerce you know, done by professional, we ended up doing it ourselves. So proactiveness, like I said, is a very important skill. Um, as well as 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 I'd say the the shipping would would be one of the other, other challenges. But you know, we we were able to get around that. And as a female entrepreneur, obviously you've thrived. And like you said, a lot of it is because you have in you kind of the characteristics to be proactive and to really kind of persevere but you are still a young woman in this business world what what kind of challenges do you think you faced and because of this or if you haven't that's absolutely fine but more importantly what kind of advice would you give to a young woman specifically looking to go into the more business world especially as you focus on operations so I'd love to hear any advice well, yeah, I think being a young woman does play a, a role in the challenge that we face in terms of finances, because when you're young, you don't really have a lot of money. You've not really worked at a lot of places. You don't have that much savings. So that does contribute to money being a challenge. Of course, money is a challenge for every single business across the board. Our business is 100% self-funded. And with our business operating in South Africa, I'm going to make South Africa as an example right now. Um, we find that the funding model in South Africa is not really catered for the young black, you know, um, average South African because we do not have what is called collateral, um, mm-hmm. which, 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 which banks need in order for them to lend you money. And so we found a lot of challenge in being able to get funding from business, for, from banks, um, but we had to use other avenues. So Finance is definitely a challenge that um, you will definitely face. And I think it will be harder when you're young. Um, in these cases, there's not a lot of, you, you don't have a lot of resources of, of where you can get, you know, funding. Um, and I would say another challenge definitely in, in, in being female is working. It depends in the industry that you work in, but you would find that most industries are male dominated. And with us, because we're getting PVC pipes or some other grass, either the merchants or the people that sell, um, you know, some of the raw materials, mainly more male dominated industries, and they don't take you seriously when you go into those places. And so you really do have to work extra hard and, 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 and really show off, um, show more of your leadership role in those, um, you know, um, moments for you to be taken seriously. Um, and so those are some of the challenges that, that, that we have faced. But I would say that, you know, for any young woman having to go into business right now, it's, it's, it's really just about believing in your power, believing that you, 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 you actually, um, you know, are, are capable of being and standing in the spaces that you find yourself in. And you just need to, you know, and if it requires for you to work extra hard, then work extra hard because of that's what will, you know, get you to the next level. Yeah, I would say that's, that, that's what has worked for us. 
Thank you for that. And I just wanted to um, touch a bit more on the financial aspect. So you've already mentioned there, like being a black woman in South Africa is quite difficult. And I think a lot of our listeners think that financial barriers is probably the biggest hurdle that they're facing right now as a young entrepreneur. So you already talked about asking friends and family as well. But I wanted to know, like, how much startup capital did you actually plan to get? Was it like enough for X amount of products? Or did you just think we'll start with what we've got and make more money as we go? Did you like how long were you saving for what was the kind of process and journey there yeah well the savings started off while we're still in Switzerland um we that's where we started saving the money but we were in for a big surprise because when we came to South Africa we, we realized that we had to we had to live off of those savings as well and it was just not it wasn't just for the business and we faced a lot of challenges in that um the money had to be then be, be divided between personal use and business use. And it was not enough at all, not even to get us through three months at all. So what we had to do was strategize. And I think that's what really pushed us to start contacting wholesalers because we could not survive on just selling to individual customers at markets like we always did. We wanted more bigger contracts that would really help um, help sustain us. And we were not able to get any startup funding. And so what we had to do was use the POs that we have to get funding. No one was able to look our way for, you know, big funding without a purchase order. And so that required us to, you know, speak to some of the big um, chain stores in South Africa to give us shelf space to get that purchase order. And from there on, you are able to then present it to, you know, financiers. And from there on, they will then assess and see if they can assist you. So it was really a challenge and it still continues to be a challenge for us because we still don't have any kind of investment at all. So all the um, funds that we are using are fully repayable with interest. Um, and it's a challenge for a small business like ourselves um, when you're going into retail stores and you um, get the revenue and a lot of that revenue and a lot of that interest has to go back to pay, um, you know, for that. So there's quite a lot of challenges um, in that. Saving up is really important. It sort of gets your head in the game, um, which I would say really did help us a lot. Um, but, you know, and, and, and I would say this importantly because of most of the time you'd find that people are working full time and they want to get themselves into business. And it's just really a juggle of do I leave now? Do I stay in the working full time while I am? Um, you know, working on my business on the side. But I would say that, you know, it's okay to do that for a, for a while, but just keep in mind that there's somebody out there who is pushing the same business as you are and they're doing it full-time and they are um, competing with you. So you need to make a decision pretty quickly, but don't be scared. I'd, I'd say that don't be scared um, of that. Like I said, vulnerability is really important. Ask for help, you know, from the people that can help you. Just take the leap of faith. But also be conscious, you know, I mean, of course, you can't be um, you can't find yourself living in, you know, in a house that is about, I don't know what, 3000 pounds <laughs> and want to leave a job and where you where, where you're not even making revenue yet in your business and it's just a startup. So be very thoughtful about that. And I would say maybe um, work, work for like a year or six months while you're pushing that. And when you see that you've got a clientele and you've got two, three other avenues and way of how you can make revenue, then it would be time for you to leave to to leave your job, you know, knowing that your your basic expenses are covered. So it's really not an easy one to do, but at the end of the day, determination will get you to do the unthinkable. 
Thank you. And it's not easy, is it, that like concept of making the leap from having a guaranteed wage every month in a job to the unknown risk of being like an entrepreneur and everything? Like, at what point did you make that jump did, when you decided you were going to stop working or did you go immediately from leaving your master's? Immediately from leaving my master's. And I think because of that, it was, I would say I had an advantage because I had nothing to lose. I just finished my master's. I was not working at the time. I had nothing to lose really. It really was just about um, just trying it out. Um, and so, but it also took a lot of courage because there were a lot of um, job opportunities for me in Switzerland, which I had to decline. But um, it, it, I would say that it, it was more of a determined effort. And that's why I say that, you know, when you're determined, you'll do the unthinkable. When you really are sure about what you want, you will find yourself, you know, making decisions that you never imagined you would. You would really put yourself... Um, in you know a crossroads of, of of really going ahead and taking that that risk you know over choosing comfort um, and I think it's 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 very easy to succeed when you don't have a choice it's easy to succeed when you don't have a choice because you you can't fall back on another plan on another comfortable plan you just have to have to make it and that's what's going to get you there you know the fact that I don't have a choice I just I have to make it I I, I can't decide comfort. I, I can't, I don't have comfort right now. I just have to go this way. And that's what, that's what happened with us. I'm a firm believer in that, like the power of the mind and not allowing yourself to think of the possibility of failure. And I think yeah. as black women as well, Gloria, I don't know if you agree or not, but I think we're not allowed to settle for being mediocre. So we always have to strive to be better than great. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I feel like every single black person I've ever spoken to has always had it drilled into them that you need to be twice as good. Firstly, because racism, <laughs> but also because, you know, to even get your foot in the door because of the racism, to even be seen as being equal to some of the more mediocre people, you really need to shine and be exceptional. So, yeah, it really is something that I think is drilled into all of us. Yeah. Definitely. And Michelle, I wanted to ask you some more kind of practical questions as well for the listeners. So I know probably when you were brokering deals with these big retailers, um, there was probably like contracts and legal aspects and lots of different wordy things for you to read. And how was that for you? Because I know it can be quite intimidating for someone signing a contract. Like, are you being ripped off? Are you, you know, getting the right deal for yourself? How did you go about that? Mm-hmm. you know what it's it, it, it's it's scary because my sister and I actually once got ourselves in a position where we signed a contract and it the, yeah the, the the terms were really against us in that in that moment we were able to finally get ourselves out of that um it really we were we, we just really had a beginner's luck I would call it because we got a a law firm from a friend that we actually met at one of the markets where we were selling we met, we, we made friends with one of our customers who was a lawyer and she told us about um, a pro bono that they had at their own law firm. And, um, and then we signed up for that pro bono and it, it became now knowledge to us that very big um, law firms, well, I mean, I'm, I know about South Africa, I don't know about other areas, but I mean, it's worth a try that very big law firms do give pro bono um, services to small businesses because of they've identified that, Karina, that, you know, in business, you come in not with a full set of skills. And so you will need assistance. And and, and that's how we were able to get ourselves out of that pickle because we were able to get pro bono, um, you know, services from 
you know, from, from, from the legal team. Um, and so that's how we navigated around it. But yeah, that's, that, that's pretty much it. We don't, we don't really have, um, I mean, in terms of some of the contracts that we have, you know, this, we, you, you are able to also, if you don't have pro bono services, you are able to then sit and actually um, ask the, 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 the client to put their legal team, you know, together with you on a call and you can go through the terms and things that you don't understand. You will have to um, spend nights sometime reading those 17 pages and, you know, making sure that you can understand them. And if there's something that you don't understand, don't be hesitant to ask. I think people are always ready to, uh, um, to assist when you put your hand up. Like I said, vulnerability, very key. Um, so that's what you can use, you know, use what you have, the resources that you have. Do you have a law, a friend who understands law? Maybe they can go through those contracts for you. Um, you know, there's always just help out there. But even the people that issue out those, those will not mind explaining. But just to make sure that you are, um, you know, not signing something without, you know, uh, full knowledge is to ask someone that that is not related to the people that drew up the contract in the first place, you know. And so it's just about looking at the resources around you and who can help you. And I imagine dealing with things like that is incredibly stressful when you've also got other things on your plate, like managing a team of nine and finding suppliers and shipping and e-commerce. So how do you manage the actual stress of being a business owner and entrepreneur? Um, the, the the stress of being an, a business owner and entrepreneur, you know what, it really does come with its, with its own challenges. You have to have your own, you know, coping mechanisms. And I say that sometimes when I just feel like I want to take some time out, I really, I mean, in the in the beginning, I just want to be clear to say that in the beginning, sometimes you don't really have a choice of taking time out because there's just so much that's required from you to really just get your head in the game. But at the same time, in the beginning, you have all that crazy energy that you don't even feel like, um, you know, you need time out. But right now, because of we really have some sort of help, I'm not physically packaging the products myself like I used to we've got people that help us I really do take time off sometimes when it's really been a crazy day and I feel that anxiety rushing in I close my laptop and I do maybe watch you know a sermon that that really motivates me I'll listen to a podcast um you know that that, that can motivate me and get me fueled up again um you know or I take a walk so there's many things that you that, that, that you can incorporate, things that you've always loved, you know, taking a walk into nature or weekends, deciding not to def, not to work on, 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 on weekends sometimes and just putting that time aside for yourself because of you need it. You know, it's not all the time that you are busy, that you are actually being effective. So people must always remember mm -hmm. that. So just because of you are busy does not mean that you're being effective. All right. So it's good to take some time off and be intentional about your time off. So tell yourself today, I'm going to watch Netflix for five hours. Be mm -hmm. intentional about it so that you don't feel guilty about it. You've set an intention that you're going to not work other than when you have to work and you're just putting off the work with just watching Netflix, you're going to feel guilty. You will not enjoy your alone time. So be able to be honest with yourself and tell yourself that the business is not going to collapse because you just took five hours off watching something that you enjoy no definitely and we spoke about that on one of our podcasts about productivity that one of the best ways to actually be productive is to take time off as well mm -hmm. I, I did kind of shade somebody that Michelle knows so please Michelle for your own sake don't don't go back and listen to that because you'll know who I'm talking about <laughs> and it's it's not good character <laughs> but focused again on you because you know you've given us a nice overview of who you are uh, a bit about your business but what are your favorite things to do if you could pick three things like top things money is no object 
to do right now to de-stress and just really enjoy yourself what three things would you pick Hmm. I'm so curious just like of personal reasons like I'm yeah. so interested to find out okay one go to a spa okay a nice quality spa where mm. they can just massage me and just I can just chill there and have a great time I would love that number two go away into the bushes you know or um you know to a lodge or you know to a hotel or you know travel to a place that you like um you know maybe for a weekend away even if it's not just too far but to another city um and i will say maybe to a lodge here because you just want to be in nature in the bushes um you know on a safari ride um if you happen to be in you know city london you can go to you know uh, um, maybe just go to another city and um I mean, I remember when I used to, when my mom used to live in London, we, I used to visit a place called Brighton and it has a, it has this countryside of it, you know, so places like that where there's just a lot of soul in nature, I would go to a place mm-hmm. like that. Um, and another one, what would it be? I, yeah, I, 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 what would it be? Price would not be a factor. Um, just really just probably sit, sit, take, take leave, literally sit at home. Mm-hmm. For five days, not doing anything, not having to get any emails or whatever. Sometimes it's okay to do that, to be alone. I love, I'm alone and I love being alone. I really appreciate my alone time. And yeah, that's the one thing. But I'd say pairing this alone time, if let's say Clued Up was about to sponsor me with a trip right now. I'd say sponsor me with a trip to Egypt. <laughs> okay. To, okay. Michelle, I was just about to say we said money was no object, and your three things were so cheap. Like go to a spa, go to yeah. a sit. I was like, I was going to say yeah. fly out to Bora Bora, you know, mm-hmm. trip to Dubai. We're doing big here, girl. We're, like, we're open room free right now. We have a jet. Like everything is at your disposal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Shopping. Do we have number four on the list? Shopping, shopping, shopping. I was waiting for that because you know what, girl? That's one of the first things that bonded us. I saw these shoes and I was like, okay, Michelle, like what, what's happening here? Where did we go? Gloria, business has humbled me to the core. I don't even know. I don't even know if I've got taste anymore in anything. Oh, oh. Lord, yeah. I've been humbled. It's- it's all right, but what I will say is like to make this a little bit like a little bit less shallow materialistic and, and get a little bit back more on that track is you know, time is expensive, you guys. So yeah. I understand what you mean by just being fully selfish and being able to just have all that time just for yourself. Yeah. Oh, it it really is wonderful to be able to do that. But honestly, in the future, girl, if you're if you're up for it and the business time allows and you know we're not tied down with kids or a family or anything, we can do like a nice little shopping trip to somewhere like Perry. Hello. Yes, I would love it any day. <laughs> and back onto the business to drill it down. Where do you actually see yourself for the next five years? Oh wow. Okay. Um, the vision for most crib in the next five years. Myself or the business, right? Both. Both. Um. Yeah. So basically, we 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 are we are determined to see Moscript grow um, beyond the US, beyond just South Africa. And I'd say that in the next five years, Moscript will be definitely having footprint in Dubai, um, in the UK, in many parts of, 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 of Europe, actually, not just UK, but in many parts of Europe. Um, and 
brick and mortar is one of the stuff that we really want to have for most crib. I think that as much as um, businesses are going online in this e-commerce and it's really booming with some businesses like homeware stores, customers, and I'd say, and I, you guys could, you know, attest this for yourself as well to say, attest to this, to say that you sometimes want to feel the product. You want to touch it. You want to smell it. You want to see if it's, you know, the color would really work well. And that's why I say, you know, having a physical store would be definitely one of the, the things that we'd love to have in the next five years. Um, with that, the business, of course, would have been really flourishing, doing really well in those particular areas. And, you know, hopefully we'll have time to, you know, grow my own personal life into some of the, the goals that I've always wanted to achieve. Um, family, definitely a dream of mine. Um, yeah, so that's basically where I see most group in the next five years. I believe it. And you know what I love that you do? When you were talking about this, you said you will. It wasn't if, it wasn't a conditional thing. It's like, it will come. It and honestly, been. I really... I really affirm it and I believe it. And I just love that you have that energy. Thank you. Yeah, no, it will definitely happen. And could I just jump in, Michelle, and ask you, um, you already spoke about Rising Strong, which is a book about vulnerability. But if we do have anyone listening who wants to go into entrepreneurship, do you have any book recommendations or podcasts or influencers that are really uplifting and supportive? Um, yes. Um, I recently just read The Alchemist. I just finished it yesterday, actually. That is a very, very important book because it talks about um, going after your goal and going after a treasure. And some people believe that they do not have a particular treasure to go after. Some people really just don't think that their purpose is that big, that they could actually, you know, achieve it. And I, and I want people to understand and know that we all have a purpose. We all have a treasure that we are to find. Um, it's not found in some static job or a static position, like I'm going to be president or what. It's really just found in, you know, the constant search of, you know, the future. And I think that that, that book really does speak to that. Um, uh, podcasts, I listen to a whole lot of Super Soul Sunday. And I think that is what, you know, reminds you that, and as much as life can get really crowded and, and, and life can get, you know, too much and too fast, you know, you must take time to remember that you are, you are just a spirit, you know, you're just a spirit having a human experience. And sometimes it's okay to just tune in and, and, and really take, to just take time off from, you know, the hustle and bustle, um, you know, that the world requires of us. Um, Super Soul Sunday has really been um, motivational. I would say definitely clued up. <laughs> People want to know more about business, they should just listen to clued up. I think that that would be a very good motivator. Great for, um, you know, someone wanting to go in business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another book that I that I read, Brene Brown has really pretty much been, um, you know, very um, important for me. But another book that I've read is I forgot the name, but it's actually it's it's conscious. That's that's where we actually got. It's, it's the owner of um, Whole Whole Foods. Um, I just want to see if I can get the name. It's, it's called Conscious Capitalism. Um, that's where we actually got the, the, the motivation to put, you know, customers, um, to, to put uh, people over profits. And his name is um, John, what's his name? I had it right now. One second. Conscious Capitalism. John McKee. John McKee. Yeah. John McKee is the, is, 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 is the author of Conscious Capitalism, the owner of Whole Foods. And so he was really drilling in into being more, um, you know, intentional about business and let it not be just about money um, because of that can really 
um, die die out very soon. So yeah, the, those are the, the that's what I would recommend. Thank you so much for sharing your suggestions with us and also for that quick plug. But I'm so glad you suggested that book, Conscious Capitalism, because, again, I really do think that that whole message of not having to sacrifice your values in order to make money really is something that I hope more people take from this as well. Absolutely. Thank you. And it's been really fun to listen as well. Obviously, Michelle and Gloria, you two are friends. And Michelle, this is the first time we're meeting. Mm -hmm. But it's been so inspiring to hear your story, but not just about the business, Mm -hmm. your own mindset as well. And like the energy and advice you give across is really inspiring for me. Oh, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I think it's been a very amazing platform. It's been exciting to share, also very therapeutic in a way to just go back um, into my journey and see, you know, where I come from and and where we are right now. Um, So thank you so much for creating this platform where I was able to just share so freely um, and and, and, and so and in, in, in such a fun style with the two of you. Thank you. We're glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, um, thank it. you so much for being our first guest. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for choosing me. Amazing. Well, to all of our listeners, we hope you found this useful, engaging and informative. And Michelle, do you want to just share your Instagram so people can check you out if they want to? Yes. Um, please check out Mo's Crib. That's at M-O-S dot C-R-I-B. That's Mo's Crib for our um, Instagram handle. And my own personal Instagram handle is at Zoe Mish. So that's Z-O-E underscore M-I-C-H. Brilliant. Fantastic. And as always, guys, please do check us out on our socials and continue the conversation over on our Instagram. You can find us at at clued up but clueless over on Instagram and we are loving our little community that we've fostered please do feel free to engage if you have any specific tutorials you would like to see from us on stories or any content do feel free to send us a message and send in your suggestions amazing so until next time bye 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 guys